Welcome to a special episode, a bonus episode of Podcasting is Praxis, uh, where we're going to talk a little bit about um, BTS, Korean music, and how all that weirdly aligned with our corner of weird British uh, online politics. And we're very glad to have uh, a guest with us today. It's, it's a one-on-one -on -one interview between me, Rob, and uh, we've got Daisy, who's part of the BTS online army, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll call it. Um, I just wanted to, first off, thank you so much, Daisy, for agreeing to, to come on uh, the podcast. It's no problem. I'm really excited to be here. I think it's fair to say that most, if not all of our listeners are relatively unfamiliar with um, Korean music in general and, and, and BTS. Um, I just wanted to, if you don't mind giving like a brief overview of like who BTS are as a, as a group and then their style of, of music. Uh, no problem. So um, for anybody who doesn't know, um, BTS is a seven member Korean uh, music group and they debuted in 2013. Uh, so it's seven boys and they're all, you know, in their early to late twenties now, but um, anyway, so seven boys and there's three rappers, there's four vocalists. And um, uh, in terms of the type of music they do, a lot of people would think that they do just pop, but they're actually like incredibly genre agnostic. So if you look into their discography, they've done like pop, R&B, hip hop, uh, they do jazz, they do all sorts of different things. It's also fair to say that it is huge. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, I I will also confess I wasn't very familiar with BTS uh, as, as a band be before we sort of encountered each other online, which which we'll get to later. Um, but I was looking it up on YouTube, like they have videos with over a billion views. Um, they, if I phrase it right, moved beyond the Korean music scene and now have a number one on Billboard in the US this year. Mm -hmm. um, and apparently they're worth something like $3.6 billion, uh, apparently to the South Korean economy. So like it's this thing is big, right? Just to get, can you, can you give our... our our listeners sort of a, an idea of the scale of, of BTS? Um, they're currently breaking records and they're doing it uh, better and harder than everyone else, apparently. Um, even just this year, um, they achieved their fourth number one album on the Billboard 200, which is extremely huge, not just for a Korean artist, but for any artist in general, because uh, the year before they had uh, gotten three in a row and that already tied them with the Beatles. So that hasn't been done since like the 19th, uh, the, the 20th century, which is ridiculous. And um, on top of that, um, they're, they sell out stadiums worldwide. It doesn't matter where they go, they're always selling out. Um, so the magnitude of their impact is honestly insane, something I haven't seen before. It, it, it's extraordinary to me then that like something that, that is on the level of the, the Beatles doesn't seem to have registered that much uh, in, in sort of mainstream media or, or at least the stuff that, that I read. I will also confess to not being like the most into music of, of the people on the podcast. Um, but I was, I was wondering, is it, how come a lot of people in sort of North America or Europe, that part of the world, how come we haven't really heard of, of, of this? I mean, apart from that, it's now obviously hitting the billboards in. Uh, I think it's understandably because when you think about uh, BTS and then like, automatically like your mind goes to k-pop 
um, I feel like a lot of people might have um, reserves towards them because of uh, preconceived notions about what they think BTS is all about. And maybe that's why they don't look to dive deeper into them to figure out who they are, the type of music they make, and also the type of impact they have. Um, so while I do understand it, like I, I can understand where that comes from. I do wish that people would definitely keep an open mind uh, when looking at their music um, because there's really something for everyone when it comes to them. And when I was doing some some background reading for for this conversation, I did notice that some of the the, the complaints from from the, the fan base from the the army, and we'll get to that in a little bit, seems to be that music journalists and radio programs of the like consider quite dismissive of 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 BTS BTS and sort of the broader Korean music genre. And I, I was wondering, is that is that because they have it in their mind that that this is sort of the Korean version of the Backstreet Boys or, or something along those lines? I personally think that even in comparison to Backstreet Boys, they're still like quite uh, I, like people like to drag them down as well. Even in comparison to Backstreet Boys, people even say that oh, you know, they're not even at the level of the Backstreet Boys. So it's even worse than that, to be honest. And I think that the reason why a lot of um, you know, Western media outlets and things like that, they don't really um, consider BTS as something really that important is because, you know, they just think that they just think that there's nothing good that can come out of like the Korean music industry. There's a lot of them that have that discrimination towards that industry. They think that a lot of the music is manufactured, that, um, you know, there's a lot of negative stereotypes about K-pop if you look them up. But BTS, like they're quite the opposite of pretty much every stereotype that there is. So um, it's a shame to see them uh, get treated so badly and, you know, not get the recognition they deserve um, when it comes to that. So we've been working on that a lot. What what I found really interesting, sort of picking up on that, is is again while while doing the reading, is is if you look at some of their their lyrics and the topics BTS tends to touch as a band, is that it's really much more um, social. It's much more about community and and also willing to tackle really difficult things like loneliness. Um, being a part of a society that 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 they are seem much more willing to engage with difficult personal stuff than I would say most really again it's a bad comparison but it's all I have at the moment than sort of the manufactured boy bands of the West that do seem to sort of sing endless love songs apparently for lack of a better phrasing yeah I definitely see what you mean there and you know obviously there's nothing wrong with love songs I personally do enjoy a lot of love songs myself but like sometimes when that's all that your music is about it can get pretty monotonous and um uh, that's where BTS sort of um uh, breaks away from that pattern so their lyricism is some of the most introspective lyricism I've ever seen from artists that young um, especially from artists who are not even from here. And I just really, really resonated with a lot of their messages that they've had ever since I became a fan because I became a fan in uh, late 2016. Um, so this would be my fourth year being their fan. And, um, you know, aside from like loneliness and stuff like that, they do talk about a lot of like, um, struggles that their generation has faced in Korea. They talk about the broken school system. They talk about mental health. They talk about self love and like a lot of, um, you know, songs that encourage people to work on their internal struggles, which I think can be a really good thing. 
just an interesting question. So how how did you get in touch with 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 BTS? Okay, so originally um I um had never heard of them before. Like this like the way I stumbled upon them was like complete accident or complete coincidence, I should say. So I was in my room. This was around like uh around this time uh 4 years ago, around like October, November. I was on YouTube and there was this video that came up on my recommended and this these people were reacting to um basically um four songs that BTS have titled the Cypher series so it has four different parts to it and it was um uh, tracks where the three rappers of the group um were kind of addressing uh haters that they've had in the past and like you know if you look at their lyricism you'll you can tell that they're talking about a few people because they've faced a lot of um hatred in the past from their from their previous peers before they joined BTS especially cuz two of the rappers were underground rappers before they actually joined BTS so when they made that switch from the underground hip hop scene to like the K-pop industry um they received a lot of backlash from the underground community so that's what the cypher series was all about it was addressing all those critiques and all those people who were um saying bad things about them but anyway, so I got curious. I decided to look up what the Cypher series was and I found the lyric videos for all of them. Um, so I listened to them all one through four. And, uh, in I think less than 30 minutes, I was like totally sold because, um, the way that they rap, honestly, is definitely on par with a lot of great rappers within this industry in America because um, like their flow, their rhyme scheme, their lyricism, their cadence, their everything, like they just have, they just have such high quality music. And I could definitely tell that their hip, the way that they do hip hop was like authentic. You could tell that they have a lot of respect for, um, you know, a lot of heavy hitters in the hip hop scene. So do you, just a, as a side note, but I'm curious, do you also speak Korean? Uh, me? Um, I currently do not, but I'm practicing on that. That's actually a work in progress. <laughs> and you'll find that actually a lot of um, armies are uh, starting to learn Korean because they're so fascinated with the way that um, uh, not only BTS make music, but they're just fascinated with the language in general. So um, now people are working to meet BTS halfway to sort of understand their language better rather than, you know, um, asking BTS to continuously sing in English. Yeah, I found it really interesting. I read a recent interview with them because they now have the, as as we said, they have their first sort of US billboard number one, and that's in English. And they talked about that particular track. Um, and they did say, what we wanted to do is not just do a, a, a translation, because we already already speak English, but we really wanted to work on having that same sort of emotional resonance and feeling that we try to do in our Korean lyrics and our Korean music. And, and do more than just a one-to-one -one translation, but really take it, bring the whole concept across. I found that that to be really interesting. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you. I mean, you, you've referred several times to the the army mm -hmm. um, already. I think as as we've seen in the past few days online, it's a certainly very active uh, community. So I just want what's 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 what is it to be like to be in the in the BTS army? Uh, so to be in the BTS army, I definitely think is something that is incredible. And if you find some good people, I definitely say stick with them because you make a lot of, uh, good friends on army Twitter or, you know, wherever you might be, whether that's Instagram or Facebook or something like that. Um, for me, when I first, uh, got into, um, 
the fandom and started interacting i actually didn't start um using my twitter until like maybe early 2018 um so it was like about a year and a half that i had where i was kind of just on my own listening to bts music and watching like their non-music content and then i finally made the switch over to twitter um so when i finally joined and you know i started meeting up with people i think it was really interesting to see how many different sides there are to our fandom not even just in terms of like uh talking about the boys and like their music but then also spreading into um different things as well for example there is plenty of accounts dedicated to um uh things like for example there's this account called tutor armies where a bunch of armies come together and give free tutoring services to armies who are still in school or there's um accounts dedicated to charity projects um that are done in bts's name um that we update regularly we even have like maps to show different like charity projects and where they've taken place and then you know accounts like that and it just made me really like fascinated to see how a fandom could be so self-sufficient. Yeah. What I found fascinating was that um, apparently earlier this year, uh, BTS and, and their label donated a million dollars to the Black Lives Matter movement in the US. And that was sort of matched quite quickly through the the fan army uh, that they matched that donation, I think, for over a million. It's it's quite impressive that that, that, that takes place. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because the hashtag that went around to actually match their donation was started by me. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It was definitely uh, really amazing to see how quickly the fandom can mobilize to do something good. Yeah, no, that, that, that is amazing. And what I also found really interesting when it's a very interesting sort of cross cut of society of the people that, that call themselves um, army, like, again, the stereotype that we tend to have is like boy bands, so it's all teenage girls, but this seems much more like adult um, and much more varied. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, I think for sure that if you go um, to any BTS concert, you will see for yourself how diverse the fandom is. So um, I believe the majority of the fans are like between the ages of like 18 to 30. So like somewhere in between like going to university and like already working, um, there are a lot of armies where you see, you know, they're married, they have kids, um, uh, some of them are grandmothers. Um, and even though there are, you know, a lot of young people in our fandom as well, um, to say that it's the entire fandom is quite inaccurate. It's a sp I feel like it's a more even spread across all ages, which I think is definitely something that also struck me as interesting when I first joined the fandom. I wanted to get into sort of how these sort of weird interact sort of cross currents between the British left and, 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 and the uh, BTS army sort of take place. Um, and I wanted to do it by way of, um, there was an interesting piece in Forbes by Brian Rowley uh, called BTS's achievements and massive global fan base speak much louder than their racist critics. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially he begins with, with a, BTS did a performance at the United Nations, right? Uh, it was actually a speech. Um, it was their second time. Uh, oh, sorry, I thought it was a performance. Yeah, Apologies. it was a, a speech where um, they basically talked about um, sort of the current situation and how people should um you know continue to have positivity and move forward even though things might be difficult right now so this is their second time doing a speech at the un they actually um the first one they did was in 2018 around this time uh two years ago and um uh, it was mainly 
the leader of the group, RM speaking, because um, he did his speech in English and he's the most fluent member. But um, uh, it was definitely kind of like on the same notes where um, they do talk about how important it is to um, uh, have hopes and dreams for the future and things like that. And their words really resonated with a lot of people. So they got invited back. Um, and yeah. I, I Sorry, I, I didn't want to interrupt, but I just thought what I found really wonderful was this idea that um, they really talked about, because the the last one they did was really about Corona and, and how difficult it is not to see each other, that they really talked about they themselves finding it difficult to be alone and having to rediscover themselves. I thought that was a really interesting, again, it's not something you usually associate music artists of sort of this extraordinary world-spanning level to talk about mm -hmm. that they are unhappy and the things are not going well for themselves either yeah they've always been very open about the way that they feel at certain points in their life actually if you look on um uh, they have a youtube channel called bangtan tv and um uh, ever since that in fact not even ever since they debuted even before they debuted um they do these things called logs where they're not really periodic but they do them when they want and they use these logs as a chance to talk about their feelings and, um, you know, their type of, you know, the goals and uh, achievements they have planned and also just like general emotions. And um, there's actually a recent one that RM had done a couple of days ago where he was talking about, you know, how difficult it is um, uh, during their situation and, you know, how lonely they sometimes might feel because, you know, if you look at them, especially like a global, you know, group like BTS, you know, their whole career kind of relies on, I guess, fan interaction. Like when you go to concerts, you're not going to like an empty stadium. It's all about seeing your fans. So it's totally understandable why they're feeling lonely at this time. And I think it's good that they're expressing that um, because it shows that, you know, they are just, they are just regular people like us. It's good to see them actually voice how they feel. Yeah, and, and I think part of so this is where we get sort of inch closer to to how 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 we meet and how we're talking now is that part of the the response to to this to this latest uh, speech at the UN um, came from first from I think from the Economist who sort of said and then another journalist in 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 uh, called Anne Haggerty from from ITV who just sort of dismissed it out of hand as I think she said it was an unimportant Korean boy band or something. And I think at that point, there was quite sort of a, a big, let's say, let's say, response from the army. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I was there to witness all of it go down. So I definitely know how big the response was. Um, but I definitely think that armies were well within their right to criticize what they said, because it's, you know, things like that, that we've have been enduring for years about the boys ever since that they started blowing up in the U.S., um, because, you know, it wasn't until like maybe 2017 that they really, you know, started taking off within the Western industry and beyond. Um, so it's been sort of three years of dealing with people making these offhanded comments about them talking about, oh, you know, they're at the UN. Oh, please no. Or, oh, they're fundamentally unimportant or they don't matter. It's been three years of doing that. So a lot of people think that maybe we're being oversensitive and it's just, you know, typical rabid teenage girl fans who are being overprotective of their boys. When in reality, it's kind of like almost like a boiling pot where we've sort of been dealing with all this pressure over the years until like somebody says something and then it's like, okay, the pot's finally boiled over. And I think a lot of people don't understand why a lot of fans were mad at what she said 
And um, it is frustrating. It is definitely frustrating. Now, this is something I think we can very much sympathize. I mean, in, in as far as, as this podcast or, or indeed I can speak in any real way for, for a very diverse group of people, but um, as part of so the, 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 the online left in the UK, this idea that people who, who have no idea that, that there is a real community and that there are ideas that are really thought out are just sort of dismissed out of hand and said, okay, oh, here's the unimportant people again and you're just somebody on Twitter and, and everything. So I think that that was a really interesting um, sort of parallel uh, between the two. <laughs> and then you had sort of the, the unfortunate encounter with, with Francis Wheatman, who is one of our most most special human beings on, <laughs> on, on the UK Twitter, at least. Oh, yes. She, yeah... I, it's really difficult to explain it, it any her to anybody else. She's she's someone who takes everything and, and reflects it back on herself and not in a positive way, but says, No, I am correct and anybody sort of trying to offer criticism of me is not just wrong, but racist or wicked in some way, which is always difficult to stomach yeah and it that really like it took everything i had not to say anything because i was like you know what she already has hundreds of people who are quoting her and replying her i think whatever i say at this point has been said by someone else so i kind of just left it alone and just let everyone else take care of it but when it comes to things like that i you know really make like want to drive this point home that a lot of people especially people who are like white journalists and stuff they don't have to watch out for microaggressions and you know these dismissive comments the way that people of color do and especially for the bts fandom majority of us are people of color and so we understand what it feels like to be dismissed or to be dehumanized by others and so I think that what she really didn't understand is that not only was she dismissing their artistry, but dismissing them as people and to call, you know, and for these um, journalists to be calling them some little Korean boy band that's fundamentally not important. Like, I think that really just shows you, you know, kind of what they're thinking, not even just about BTS, but just about like people who come from other countries that are coming to make music. Arguing with with Frances Weepin in particular is is an impossible mind game because she will just turn. It, there is no legitimate way to to argue with her as, as not any number of our uh, podcasters have have find, found out over the year. But what I found really interesting, um, sort of when watching it, is apart from the usual, because you know I think we can also be honest to say there was just random abuse thrown about because it's Twitter and then that's what happened. But what I found really interesting is that so many people outside the abuse were really like, look we're trying to engage very honestly and and to say what you're trying to say is like look this is not as you say not about microaggressions but hear us and and let us have a reasonable conversation i thought that was actually really impressive in a way yeah um i think uh for a lot of people who may be criticized by army fans is that you know they might try and use you know the minority of people who are being actually problematic within the replies and within their dms to sort of paint us all as toxic that we're all you know people who don't even want to like have a decent conversation when really if you actually scroll through all the replies and all the quote tweets that she got a lot of them were actually very reasonable with the way that they were talking to her they were trying to lay it down for it this is why we have a problem with what you said but um, she tried to paint it as like that as a bunch of rad, a bunch of rabid fans coming after her. Yeah, I mean this is this is something that 
as I've said, we we have a long experience with, especially with her, that that there is no no honest way to to have a conversation with her. But I mean, in this sort of during this whole, I don't even know what to call it, meeting of the cultures, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, uh, is that sort of? I mean, have you also had? better interactions with people said oh i just sorry i didn't know and you know i'll I'll try to do better next time uh yeah there have been people who you know we have explained to them why we have an issue with what they did or what they said and they have corrected them some of them have been journalists some of them have just been like random people who are of the general public who didn't really know about bts and you know made some assumptions um, but I would say that the majority so far have been pretty negative, but, um, I guess we can only keep pushing, I guess. <laughs> we can only do so much. And I think also we also, it, it is also just Twitter and it, it doesn't always lend itself to the best of, <laughs> of most, most reasoned argumentative style mm. in the first place. Oh no. So how, so what, I mean, let's hope we can all leave this sort of behind uh as fast as we can much as much as lovely it is to 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 meet people and chat from other people around the world but um so what's next for for bts Uh, you know i'm assuming there's another album in the works you know where 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 do we go you know i don't know if you've learned any lessons but it's certainly been something Um, (laughs) you know where do we go next um actually it's funny that you mentioned albums because um uh I believe it was two days ago, they had announced that they are dropping their next album on the 20th of November. And pre-orders actually for that album started like two days ago. So um, uh, everyone's been pre-ordering the album. Uh, everyone's really excited. You have your copy, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> and um, uh, this album is, uh, we think is going to be really important for them because uh, not only is it going to be... Um, uh, another Korean album, which we can really showcase like their artistry in their own native language. But also, um, it's been reported that they've had a lot more involvement this time around in the non-music aspects. Um, so they've been keeping us updated with that. So some of the members are like working on like concept management. Uh, some are working on like, uh, you know, filming the music videos. So they're like really active in both the music and non-music aspects this time, as opposed to like all the other albums where they're mainly just kind of focused on the music. And then, you know, obviously like their art teams take care of the rest. Um, so I think that this would be like a really nice personal album that will probably have a bit of more intimate feel than usual. So I'm really looking forward to that. All right. I mean, I can't, I don't know. I can't say or promise that um, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast will will pre-order it. Um, but at least I hope that if they're listening, that they'll at least try it. Uh, just go to YouTube and, you know, like I said, it's got like a billion views. So just try it and see see for yourself uh, what you think. And whatever you do, never listen to Francis Sweetman. But I don't think our listeners need reminding of of that one in in particular. <laughs> um, Daisy, thank you so much for like coming on and talking BTS and BTS Army for for a little bit. It's it's been a really weird sort of fun quote unquote way to get to know, <laughs> to know each other. I mean, it's a pleasure to be here. I was really glad that you know we were able to do this. Yeah, no problem. Um, all right, I think that's it for us. Uh, Daisy, thank you again. And uh, for the rest of us, I think we're going to put out a quasi-normal episode somewhere in the next week or something. So have fun with that. Bye. <laughs>